Hello, everyone, and welcome to the premiere of Better Together, a new podcast series brought to you by Paper 360 Magazine. This is Larry Montague, President and CEO of TAPI, the pulp, paper, packaging, tissue, and converting industries go-to resource for news, industry trends, and technical and management information. Our industry and the rest of the world has changed over the last five months. These changes have had a huge impact on almost every company, from production and operations to managing a different type workforce. We want to talk about these changes and bring in experts to provide insight each month on the Better Together podcast. You'll also be able to tune in and hear ideas and thoughts on the topics and questions of our listeners. We want to cover these topics that impact you and which influence the growth and development of our industry. It is our hope that each of these monthly broadcasts will engage, inform, and ultimately enlighten you. Serving as host of Better Together is Jan Bottolieri, editor of Taffy's flagship publication, Paper 360. Jan has been supporting the industry for more than 30 years, first with Pima and now with Taffy. She is a fixture in the industry, well-known and well-respected for her outstanding coverage of many hard-hitting topics impacting our industry. And with that, I'd like to introduce Jan, who will tell you about her first guest and the topic at hand. Hi, and welcome to Better Together. I'm Jan Bottolari, Editorial Director for Paper 360 Magazine, and I've been writing about the pulp and paper industry for about 30 years. On this podcast, I'll be speaking with industry thought leaders from the pulp, paper, and packaging industry. This month, we're speaking with Matt Elhart, Vice President Global Sales at Fisher International. Matt is a strategic planning professional with 20 years of pulp and paper industry experience in sales, marketing, product development, and operations. He's a markets expert with a keen eye for assessing disruption and predicting price cycles and turning points in the pulp, packaging, and OCC markets. Before joining Fisher, Matt held management posts in marketing and operations at Longview Fiber Paper and Packaging. We're so pleased to have him on Better Together. Welcome to Matt Elhart of Fisher International to our first episode of the Paper 360 Better Together podcast. We're really happy to have you, Matt. Thank you, Jen. It's nice to be here. Great. Um, So let's just start by um, hoping you can tell us a little about what you do at Fisher and how you became interested in the pulp and paper industry. Sure. Yeah, so uh, maybe uh, for some of the listeners who aren't familiar with Fisher International, we're a global business intelligence uh, research and consulting firm uh, focused uh, in the pulp and paper industry and uh, maybe together with our sister companies, Forest to Market and Technon Orbicam, uh, generally have a focus uh, on providing business intelligence to capital uh, intensive industries. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of you know, part of where we try to position ourselves is, you know, fundamentally born out of a belief that in capital intensive industries and certainly pulp and paper is one of those that, you know, it can cost a billion dollars or more uh, to build a pulp and paper mill, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know, in, in those kinds of industries, uh, the information used to make decisions is pretty important and can be pretty consequential. So, uh, where we're positioned in the industry is providing folks with information to, that they can use together with their experience and judgment uh, to try to make good decisions for themselves and the customers. 
you know, so with that, with that being said, at Fisher, I run our global sales team. So we have operations in uh, all the major paper making uh, countries in the world. Uh, we have a team of sales professionals, business intelligence consultants, and also strategic consultants uh, on my team. And um, I oversee our, what you might say is our customer facing operations. So with respect to pulp and paper, you could probably say it's uh, it kind of runs in my family. Uh, <laughs> my, yeah, my, uh, you know, my, uh, I, I uh, one of my first jobs actually in high school uh, to make money for college was uh, as a, as a summer helper at a local paper mill and was a fourth hand and uh, fifth hand uh, on a paper machine. Uh, and my father worked at a paper mill and actually my grandfather also worked at a paper mill uh, at least up until uh, he got in a fight apparently with his uh, supervisor and threw a punch. Uh, <laughs> Still <laughs> not recommended for all not. our listeners. Don't no. throw punches at work. Do not do that. I, you know, we probably romanticize it in the Elhart family, kind of like a, you know, scene from on the waterfront, you know, <laughs> Brando esque. but, uh, you know, I went to college at Washington state university, uh, studied chemical engineering, let a lot, like a lot of folks in the pulp paper industry, uh, started as a process engineer and, uh, uh, management positions, uh, in operations and then ended up being, uh, in technical sales and marketing, uh, for a company called Longview Fiber Paper and Packaging. Sort of long story short, uh, company used Fisher, uh, uh, some of, uh, the data and tools to help with strategy. And I like the company so much, uh, decided to, decided to join them. Yeah, so that's Fisher for eight years. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you know, a lot of people actually do come to the industry in precisely that way through, you know, family connections, through summer uh, jobs or internships. So I think that's really interesting. And it, that hands-on experience uh, gives you a lot of insight, I think, into the, the trends that you track, right? It, it does. I think it's grounding. You know, I, one thing I like about manufacturing industries is it's, um, it's obvious how you create value. So you take a natural resource in our case, one that's sustainable and contributes to the circular economy, uh, you process it and turn it in something that's valuable and kind of very authentically, um, in, in a very authentic way, right? Um, that then provides value to customers and things you see in your daily life. I mean, if you walk through a house, you can say, well, like, you know, there's some tissue paper made on tissue machines here in North America. There's you know, the Amazon box on your doorstep to the magazines that you get in the mail. It's, it, it's a very sort of, uh, I would say a connected business um, that's authentic in a way that a lot of people can relate to. And, and, you know, part of that where part of it, you know, it speaks to the values of our company is one of the reasons we support the industry is because the industry, if you think about where the paper mills are and sawmills and forest operations, they tend to be in rural areas. So, our industry is a wonderful driver of employment, uh, particularly in rural areas that might not otherwise have those kind of jobs. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a nice industry to be a part of for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you just described is really a boon for the industry, but can also be a little bit of a disadvantage if it gives other folks that impression that we're not technologically forward that we're not a data-driven capital-intensive industry. 
Um, is that something that you found, you know, when talking to people outside the industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think there's always the um, you know th there's always the sort of uh, you know you're running a race with what gets the most airplay, and certainly these days it's companies like Amazon and Apple, mm -hmm. uh, which are automatically kind of in the in the uh, community discourse a lot. But you know, at the same time, um, you know, the reality is, you know, a modern paper machine will will run at uh, you know, 65, 70 miles an hour, uh, making 40, 50 tons per hour of production. Um, and it's, it, you know, anybody who's been through a paper mill uh, or seen a manufacturing video on YouTube uh, will immediately recognize that it's an extremely, um, I would say, precise operation. And it's kind of an amazing thing to, you know, fundamentally, we're in the business of extracting uh, carbon in a sustainable way from trees and turning it into value added products uh, and in a very uh, sophisticated way. And I, I think folks that, you know, once they understand the process and it's not, you know, a bunch of artisans sitting around a vat <laughs> with a screen and, you know, wearing, uh, you know, railway overalls, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty technological thing. So I would maybe change the, um, the question that it's, you know, once we have a, the opportunity to tell our story, uh, um, I think most folks will see it's a very, um, there's a lot of possibilities in the industry. Oh, I agree. I agree, especially for the future. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the ripple effects that this current pandemic situation has had on, on some of our global markets. Uh, sure. What are you seeing? What, you know, Fisher with the boots on the ground, what are, what's everyone seeing? Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I think the first thing to say is it's pretty lumpy, right? So you, you have to really take a sector by sector approach. Uh, and when we're talking with our customers, you know, the, the next thing we usually say is you have to be comfortable with a certain amount of uncertainty. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the truism is we haven't been in a pandemic like this for 100 years. And, um, maybe you haven't noticed, sometimes it feels like even our leaders in government are kind of winging it as they go. I mean, that's so not only is, is the virus very unpredictable and, you know, when, or if we get a virus and how, uh, you know, how it impacts us, but also what's unpredictable is how government will respond to it. Right. Uh, Especially so for, global from a global standpoint, right? Absolutely. So China, where we have operations basically locked everything down for several weeks. Um, you know, they can do some things there that you may not be able to do in other countries so they're, the way they treated the virus is different from uh, and, you know, countries in Europe and even within Europe. Sweden took a different approach from the United Kingdom, from Spain, from Italy. The United States has taken a different approach. And even within the United States, um, if you say, well, what's our COVID strategy? Then the next question is, okay, which state are you talking about? And the implication of that is the impact on our industry is, is different depending on the country. So an obvious example is work from home and uh, school from home. So right now uh, upstairs, I have a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old who are on their second day of school uh, online. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's different than other states, which are now back to school. And so the, the impacts are a little bit different, but certainly, uh, you know, to be specific, I think work from home, school from home is, is probably one of the biggest um, 
impacts we've seen uh, from COVID. So in the United States, uncoated free sheet, which is copy paper, <laughs> for sure. the most part, goes into copy paper for the, for the listeners and envelopes and things like that, uh, is down something like 30% year over year. And I think that's simply because, uh, you know, in offices, we tend to use about four times as much copy paper than when we're working from home. And I think the practical reason is because you have to pay for it for the most part when you're at home. You're not meeting with people in conference rooms. And so you don't have the PowerPoints and the reports, you know, at the table. And, you know, so we're definitely seeing, you know, there's a reduction in generally speaking communication papers I think the truth is uh, a good share of that uh, is gone away. Like I don't, mm. we, we don't see us going back to a um, working in office environment. Certainly next year, when we do, it's going to be a lot different than before COVID. And so I think leaders have to assume there's going to be a certain amount of that demand that, that goes away. Uh, on the other hand, if you're at home tissue provider, uh, you're having a great year, right? So oh, right. Uh, we're seeing lots of demand uh, at home tissue. Some aspects of packaging demands increase, particularly if you're involved in the e-commerce space. Uh, that demand has increased. Uh, so it really is kind of a tale of, of you know, sort of winners and ADs or losers, but really depending on which segment um, you're in. Right. But both those, you know, really hot sectors in the industry, packaging and tissue, have these two distinct markets within them for at home and away from home or, you know, at home and commercial. So it must be hard to sort of lump them together and, and try and make a valid prediction for the market as a whole. It is. I mean, you have to, you have to make a call on how, how much white collar employment do you think there'll be in the future? Yeah. And at the same time you're doing that, you also have to make a prediction on, you know, what executives at some big companies are going to decide in terms of how much business gets done virtually in the future. So Google has already announced that they're not going to go back to their offices until July, 2021. Facebook followed suit. It's probably a safe bet that a lot of fortune 100 companies are, are going to kind of follow their lead. And then when they do come back, I think the question you got to ask is, are there going to be, you know, CFOs out there that look at their expense statements and decide, well, uh, you know, we seem to do okay with less, uh, less people in the office, less office space, less travel and entertainment expenses than we needed, how much of that we're going to retain. My belief, uh, you know, speaking for myself, is that we'll probably in the future, um, it will be a mixture of work from home and work from the office, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think in general, there'll be more flexibility uh, out of the work environment. But you're right. It's, it's hard to make that prediction. And you mentioned away from home. Uh, the other interesting fact is we use a lot more tissue and toilet paper at the office than we do at home. <laughs> Again, I think it's, uh, there's some interesting reasons for that, but uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's certainly, uh, you know, uh, a function of that underlying driver, which is how much, how much of work and schooling do you think uh, takes place in the offices and school buildings in the future versus at home. All right, we're going to pause and we will be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. The Better Together podcast is sponsored by Paper 360 magazine. Each issue of Paper 360 includes timely and relevant feature articles, new technologies, market trends, executive interviews, and much more in both print and digital format. 
published six times a year by TAPI, Paper 360 reports from around the industry, around the world, with engaging content about the pulp, paper, packaging, and bioresource industries. Just like the Better Together podcast, Paper 360 is about connection, connecting readers to the trends, topics, and information that can make a difference to their professional lives. Subscribe today at paper360.tappy.org. Okay, let's get back to our conversation on the Better Together podcast. So what do you think there's any way that industry leaders could have predicted this kind of change? And now that it's here, how should they be adapting? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, if we go back to, uh, you know, March or the first week of March, at least from a U.S. lens, when we we started getting COVID here, you know, China had it in December, January, Europe got it maybe a couple of weeks earlier. Um, the the uh, Wall Street Journal does a monthly uh, uh, forecast with various economists. They use 60 economists. And I remember at the time in in March, fully half of their economists, these are all professional mm-hmm. best-in-class people, were predicting a V-shaped recession and the other half were predicting a different shape recession. Um, and so to answer your question, I think, um, you know, in March and April, there was a certain amount of unpredictability. Ability. So it's hard to say, like, you know, could a manager have predicted well exactly what would happen? And, and I would say probably not to the extent we've seen because of the amount of uncertainty. I mean, to, to a large extent, we are still learning quite a bit about COVID in March, April. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're only three months into it. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when it lived on surfaces for 14 hours and then it didn't live on surfaces. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't need to wear masks at the beginning and then we need to wear masks. And so not that that's a criticism, but it's just a learning environment. And so I think you have to separate uh, what you could have known at that time versus, um, you know, what we've learned since. I think what you could have said is, assuming we have gone in a recession, we know how those typically impact uh, the pulp paper sec- segment. Yeah, we so, um, yeah, so in some cases that has, you know, demand has uh, come to fruition in some of those segments like you'd expect in a typical recession. But I mean, who would have thought in February that uh, here in September we'd have record lumber prices, which is the case. They hit, right. a, they hit a record uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's because, you know, people were at home and they got bored and they all went out and decided to build their decks and fences all at the same time. Uh, and so it, I guess if you could predict everything, they wouldn't call them black swans. And so <laughs> what, you know, what that then says, if that's true and there's always a certain amount of it, then, then that's where scenario planning comes in. So when we, we talk to our customers is think about, you know, what are the plausible scenarios as best as you could estimate them and, you know, what plans, what would you put in place if a given scenario um, comes to fruition and then it becomes about being really good about detecting, you know, that scenario when you're in it. Uh, yeah, that's, so. that's really interesting. So you're suggesting maybe it's not so much about predicting a future or the future as it is imagining a couple of different futures and trying to make changes that uh, make you adaptable to any of them or all of them. Right. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, the worst that could happen when you go through that process is you learn something. <laughs> um, right. You know, yeah. and, and what you usually find too is if you, if you do a disciplined approach, particularly with respect to demand and forecasting, um, you have the debates internally, you have to answer the questions, what must be true for this scenario to happen? Right. Mm-hmm. And then for each one of those, you can think about, well, you know, office workers have to go back completely to where they were, or they go back 75%. And then you can, you can think about the, the likelihood of that happening. And if you look at all of those outcomes, generally you can, sometimes what you will find is there's, like you say, commonalities and similarities. Mm-hmm. So um, while it's true, probably couldn't have predicted how quickly say communication paper demand was declining. Um, you knew it was going to decline. And so ba- even back in February and March, uh, hopefully some owners were thinking about, okay, well, you know, other other businesses we get into grades to make, et cetera. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so how important would you say um, flexibility is to that adaptability? Well, there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a famous saying by Mike Tyson that says everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> We've already <laughs> covered face punching. I think. Matt. I know. I agree. Thank you. This, we'll, we'll use it a third time. We'll yes, please. Uh, yeah. So I, I, um, you know, in capital intensive industries, there's a little bit of a, you have to thread the needle between you know, when you make an investment in a paper machine, it's, usually a 20 year investment or big, mm. big rebuild is probably yeah. a rebuild. So you have to have a certain amount of confidence that what you're going to, you know, what you're going to invest in is going to have a return. Um, and you can risk adjust and all that. I think, um, you know, at the same time there, there has to be some flexibility in terms or nimbleness in terms of how mm. you might change with the markets. Um, and it really depends on, the company, right? A single mill company making, uh, you know, certain grade of paper for certain customers has different flexibility than a multinational company with operations in lots of different places. Right. Right. But at the core of it all, I think, and especially from your position, you're a proponent of, of data, data driven decision-making, right? Um, So what's the difference between that uh, and some of the other ways that leaders might make decisions for their companies? There's a tendency sometimes for companies um, to be comfortable with what they've done or always do. And so it develops a certain amount of corporate, what's called corporate inertia. Um, And so, you know, having really good, strong data can be a, um, can be an antidote to that right, can help you maybe see um, in ways that, you know, you weren't, um, you maybe not, you weren't, you see some trends that you weren't seeing in advance. So companies are generally really good about controlling what's in, within their four walls, right? So mm-hmm. particularly in the paper industry, lots of process control, you know, exactly what your paper machine did yesterday and the week before, generally know what your sales did, um, um, you know, yesterday or the week before. Uh, where it gets a little bit uh, more interesting is what's happening outside of your four walls. And so from a, from a perspective of, of information, we would generally argue that you probably, because it costs hundreds of millions and billions of dollars to operate in this industry, 
if that's all true, if that if that's all true, then you probably need the best understanding in the universe or that you could possibly <laughs> get of your external environment because the decisions are so consequential. And, you know, not to get into like a discussion about psychology, but there's a um, there's an excellent book called Thinking Fast and Slow. That's basically nothing. It's written by a Nobel Prize winning uh, psychologist. And it's it's, uh, you know, chapter by chapter of all the human biases. So things like expectation bias and confirmation bias. So oftentimes, you know, um, we have colleagues who, uh, you know, used to work for some of the big equipment suppliers. And so, a, you know, a customer would come to them and say like, Hey, we want to, you know, we want to buy an extended press or calendar stack or something. Okay. And then they go to their consultant and say, produce a market study that shows me that justifies that we need an extended press. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so sometimes there's a tendency in, uh, organizations to look for only information that confirms right. confirms what you already believe to be true, um, and and you know if that's the case, then um, then sometimes you might miss opportunities or threats uh, because you're not looking for them. Right. So how do you convince you know leaders of these big companies that you work with who maybe aren't used to having their ideas challenged how do you convince them to get beyond that four wall thinking well it's <laughs> um just sheer personal dynamism just <laughs> yeah hard work brute force i think um i actually think it's easier now than it was when i started with fisher sure. 10 it's years yeah. uh, we do cost benchmarking uh as one of our as one of our uh products. And I, I tell this story often. I, when I first started in the industry, I didn't know any better. So I just made a bunch of cold calls. And um, the first year I literally had three, three mill managers in the same grade in the United States tell me that they didn't need cost benchmarking because they were sure they were the lowest cost producer. In, three, um, three different. Three, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, there can only be one, right? It's uh, like the Highlander movie. So uh, the, the point of all this, where I've, I've seen that change, is I think there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of written about the importance of analytics. There's also been a lot of written a lot of um, information and, and uh, topics out on the importance of having an open mindset or what's sometimes called a growth mindset. So Catherine Zweck wrote an excellent book on the subject, and you know there's uh, Marcus Shingles gave a presentation at the PaperCon conference four or five years ago. It's something like you know, don't allow your, you, yourself to be Kodak, right? Right. Oh, I remember uh, that. That was really yeah, interesting. It, it was interesting. And uh, so I think, like, I think there's a lot more managers that are understanding um, that sometimes disruptions right around the corner. And, um, you know, if, if the importance of understanding uh, external you know, your environment really, really well and having kind of that open mindset. So I would say, you know, get back to your question. I think part of it is who's, you know, who are the managers at, at, you know, at that paper company, at that supplier, do they kind of recognize that uh, sometimes they're, they may not have all the information. And even if they do, is it worth the cost to check? You know, is it kind of like worth the insurance policy um, to have a, you know, have someone else give you a different opinion. Again, the worst that could happen is you learn something. Right. Yeah. So. And that's that's never a bad thing. So so you're a trend watcher. Right. So speaking of, um, you know, change and um, 
and everything. What do you see ahead for our industry, for its various markets? Um, where's the heat? What do you see ahead as far as change? Yeah, I think um, I think we'll see we'll we'll see quite a bit of disruption and churn over the next year or two, particularly in the communications markets. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of those companies are going to look a lot different uh, in the future. Some of them will make different grades. Uh, the packaging space uh, has grown, um, has globally has grown three to four percent. So we consistently see that as a driver of growth. I think something we're we're also very excited about um, is increased focus uh, on what's called ESG, so uh, environmental social governance, I believe. So. Companies companies seem to be putting their money where their mouth is now with respect to sustainable sustainability concepts. So, again, if you if you, you you let me go back to a comment I made earlier, what we do in pulp paper industry is you know take carbon molecules that are trapped in trees and we process them and convert them to useful products. Uh, well, it turns out we effectively live in a carbon world. We we right. use it for energy. We eat it. We wear it. Uh, we use it to package things. And for the most part, um, you know, the other place we get carbon is from, from oil. So we, we have carbon, which is perfectly sequestered in the ground. We, we pump it up out of the ground, we make something out of it, and it ends up in the atmosphere or sometimes in the environment. And so uh, there does seem to be, you know, in a kind of 5, 10, 15 year uh, time horizon, a sustained trend now towards more uh, environmentally responsible circular economy products. Uh, now, in a lot of cases, I am of the belief, we're of the belief, uh, the trend isn't necessarily anti-plastic, but anti-waste stuff, right? Like let's, um, I have a, f- a friend who works for one of the major retailers in the U.S. and he's in a sustainability role and he calls it uh, responsible design. So it means using, you know, the best the best material uh, for the application with a mind on the environment. And what we're seeing, uh, certainly from when I from compared to when I first entered the industry 15, 20 years ago, is it does seem like uh, companies, particularly the big end users are now uh, again, making choices uh, with that responsible, responsible design in mind. And I think, I think there could be some benefits for the paper pulp and paper industry. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly when you look at, um, you know, composite products now, um, you know, technologies to make composite products that you, use the best aspects of both paper and plastic, mm-hmm. I see as a, a potential big opportunity for the paper industry if we don't cast plastic as an enemy, so to speak. Yeah, I think, um, you know, over time, the market will def- define the products that are the best for given applications, right? And um, so, like you said, I don't necessarily if it's to cast a competitive product necessarily as an enemy, but really defining where pulp and paper works the best. Yeah. Right. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity, you know, we're finding with new modern pulp mills that they're so efficient, they, they can run the traditional pulp paper operation and still have some leftover material to convert into biomaterials or, or, you know, bioenergy. Um, and so that's something, you know, we're certainly excited about is again, you've, you've got this um, circular resource that we know how to manage very well uh, and responsibly. 
uh, in terms of forests and, you know, how can the industry come together to you know, continue to find new and innovative uses? Absolutely. I think that social aspect is really uh, interesting as well. I mean, California is basically on fire today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hottest, uh, some of the hottest weather there on record. Um, and so I think social and public awareness of the potential of our industry is, is really growing. Um, so just kind of as a, as a, as a few final thoughts, what can our industry leaders do to connect to sources of data that help them take advantage of all these opportunities? Sure. Um, well, I mean, there's lots of folks in the industry that, uh, like us that are provided and, you know, providing information. So certainly I think, you know, obviously your vendors, suppliers like Fisher are a good source. I think the other side too is the industry has an opportunity to set the narrative. And I hope, um, I love the industry, so I'm allowed to be critical, right? So sometimes I think, you know, there's a saying in sales, if you're explaining, you're losing. And I think sometimes as an industry, we, we would, you know, get into the mode of explaining. And I think there's some opportunities to tell the story really well. Like you mentioned California, Right. Um, so we've got a huge wildfire problem right now. Uh, at the same time, there's rolling blackouts. As it turns out, solar doesn't work at night and wind doesn't work. When it's not blowing. Not that those are, aren't fine, clean energy. But you know, rather than let all the forest burns, you, we, you could create pellets out of that and create, uh, you know, sustainable biomass energy yeah. uh, as a solution. Uh, but as part of that, I think there's also this narrative around where, where you know, uh, preserving the forest and not killing trees. And the reality is for most of the world, uh, the pulp fiber we use is really farmed um, wow. in a sustainable way. And you probably shouldn't say, uh, you know, uh, don't, you know, don't do, don't make this paper, make this pulp, save the forest any more than you would say, uh, don't eat cereal. You know, I want to save the cornfield. You know, <laughs> it's, it's almost the same thing. And so I think, you know, but, you know, I think unfortunately in a lot of cases, the industry is sort of, uh, has, has found itself in a position where it's reacting versus mm. I think um, creating this, a fact-based story that's, you know, true and really firing for a fact, really getting that message out in an impactful way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, it's a, it's an industry where it, it's, it's a little like, a cruise ship, you know, a giant, a giant ship, it's, it's a little hard to turn on a dime. We always have to have very long range thinking for success. I think maybe, um, maybe the public is catching up with that a little bit when it comes to, you know, renewable biofuels versus fossil fuels, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, we're, we're very optimistic about the future again, you know, I, I think it's true, you know, regardless of what the future holds, 10, 20, 30 years, it's still going to be a, a carbon-driven economy, and the pulp and paper industry is very efficient, um, has a very inf- efficient infrastructure, technology, supply chains uh, to make value-added products, whether it's chemicals, materials, you know, traditional paper, pulp, energy, out of that resource. And I think it's... Um, it's an it's it's certainly uh, an opportunity that in, industry is really well positioned to take advantage of. Oh, I love ending on that positive note. 
yeah. it's coming, especially coming from someone who loves the industry as much as uh, I'm assuming our listeners do as well. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Well, just really appreciate the time. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to support, uh, you know, the industry and the, the association. We think, you know, ultimately it's sort of good for everybody. So we just really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you and the listeners out there. Oh, absolutely. We think it's good for everybody too. That's why we do it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Matt. Um, it's been great to speak with you today. And we'll link to some of those uh, books and other sources you mentioned um, probably on our Tappy Connect platform. Sure. Um, great. Well, thanks again, Matt. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Better Together podcast. With each episode, we will talk with industry thought leaders about the topics and issues that matter to professionals in the pulp, paper, and packaging industry. We're sponsored by Tappy's Paper 360 magazine, and we'll be posting new episodes every month. So be sure to subscribe and share. We'd love to hear from you about what you would love to hear. So drop us a note at podcast at tappy.org or find us on the Tappy Connect platform at tappy.org. Better together, bringing you the connections and conversations that can help us build a stronger industry. We hope you enjoyed today's Better Together podcast. And remember, there are two types of people in our industry, TAPI members and those who should be. Have a great day.